Hey, hey, welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show, and we are back. Um, it has been a big break. I know you guys are used to a couple a week, um, but uh, over Christmas, I became quite ill. Um, I still am very ill, unfortunately, and um, I'm spending most of my time in bed. Um, I'm alive, can't complain too much in the grand scheme of things. Doctors are trying to figure out what's going on, but I've got lots of tests scheduled and things like that. Nothing conclusive has shown up yet, and so... We shall see. I appreciate everyone sending me lovely messages, sending me out good healing vibes, thoughts and prayers, love, you know, encouragement, all the good stuff. And so thank you for those that have sent me stuff. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll keep you posted. You know, I'll post an Instagram every now and again as I have updates. But in the meantime, I have decided uh, it looks like this is going to be a bit more of a long term uh process getting this diagnosed and uh, I'd like to get something out there and so I'm going to be trying to put out one podcast a week and might drop here and there um, so we might end up being you know three podcasts a month instead of four um, but definitely not two a week um, right now in its schedule it's just really tiring having these kind of um, longer form conversations um, takes a lot out of me um, so here we are uh, we've got this episode 101 uh, into the hundreds now, very exciting, and it is with uh, your favorite heretics, um, Rachel and uh, Derek Myers. Really excited to have them on the show. Uh, we had a great conversation. Um, I really hope you enjoy this. And um, before we get started, as always, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's a free resource that helps you connect with other people that are deconstructing. Um, we also do some research on uh, people that are deconstructing as well. If you'd like to be, get involved with that, um, you can do that at the deconstructionnetwork.com. And check out my Patreon. Um, everything I do, I do for free. Makes a huge difference um, if people are able and willing to support what I'm doing. It helps me keep putting out these free resources, helps me pay the bills, um, uh, keep a roof over our heads. Um, and as a thank you, you get access to a monthly Zoom call. We have a private discussion group. We have all kinds of amazing discussions on there. Um, from anything to anything, imagine uh, deconstruction right through to favorite pizza toppings. I mean, it's 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 uh, a fascinating uh, group that uh, <laughs> involves all kinds of different uh, meandering conversations. Um, but yeah, if you'd like to get together with a bunch of people that are also deconstructing and, and have great conversations of a safe place to ask questions, to um, to process things, uh, that's a great way to do it as well. You can support what I'm doing at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, all right, that's enough from me. Let's dive in to the conversation with Rachel and Derek, your favorite heretics. Sure. It's good to have you guys on. I'm excited. I'm excited yeah. too. No, we're, we're How are you feeling, by the way? You were really sick, right? Yeah, I'm still not well, um, but I have decided to just kind of see if I can do like a podcast a week, kind of record and see how that goes. You guys, my first recording. So if I like just keel over about an hour in, just give me an extra, uh, you know, like a little out, you know, maybe just like, this is how you can find us. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then we'll just like we'll fix it in, in post. Um, no, I, I think I'll be okay. I think I'll be okay. Um, but yeah, I've been taking it easy today, so it should be fine. Yeah. So but, what uh, exactly was it? Was it COVID or? Still don't know what it is. Um, so I've got a whole bunch of tests and stuff like lined up. Um, but yeah, they've, they've done tons of different stuff, checking my heart, my lungs, all sorts of different stuff. Yeah. Don't think it's COVID related. Um, it could be some mm -hmm. form of long COVID potentially, like, because I may have had it in the past at some point and not got it. We The, the UK government, wasn't running their tests for several months they were doing tests but they weren't running any of them so right. a lot of people never actually found out they had covid um wow. 
and then they're being very weird about tests even now so it's a weird one whatever but yeah so i've got i think my lungs basically is is what that's what it seems like to me but Mm -hmm. i'm not a doctor so i don't know i just use them to breathe um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's pretty shitty. Like just feeling yeah. like a weight on my chest 24 seven, wow. just tightness in my breath. Like it's, it's not fun. Um, and yeah. presumably somewhat serious. Um, no one seems to think it's too serious. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure that's like restricting. I can't, yeah. I, I would, that would make me so claustrophobic. I'm so sorry. You have to go through that. Yeah, It's, it's not fun, but it's whatever. It's an excuse to take it a bit easy, which <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I need, I, I work too hard, but I also, um, I love what I do and it's pretty chill what I do anyway. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, welcome to the podcast show, whatever it is. Um, I'm excited to have you on. Um, are you guys good for time? Like I usually kind of just see where it goes and kind of yeah. fizzle out, but do you want to record in this space still are you are you guys happy with where you're at you look great um yeah i I think it's fine some people might like point directly to like oh dream catcher in the middle of them on this show not a chance are you kidding like the people i've had on you're good um i just like this like conspiracy theory time like it's so funny like the minute somebody sees a symbolism like discredited amazing i i think i lost that group of people a long time ago at this point and now we're really pushing it so to be honest you my my tactic coming out a new year is to probably lose a good chunk of the deconstruction crowds by now kind of challenging them and where they're at so we'll we'll see i always kind of just push people away um that's my that's my growth strategy keep it nice and small so i can have good community um but yeah you're not gonna i've thought about you can't upset yeah so you're in kind of, um, I've noticed like your content shift a little bit. Are you now deconverted? Or are you just deconstructed or reconverted? Like, um, I, there's so many different phrases and most of them are probably, um, way too open to interpretation. Right. I mean, even yeah. deconstruction is thrown around all the time and most people have no idea what that means or how right. to define it. Um, reconstruction is thrown around again, like really what do we mean by that? Because deconstruction is a constructive technique. And so what do you mean by reconstructive? Do you mean a specific type of construction that you want? Uh, which is usually what people mean when they throw around reconstruction, right? They mean, oh, you need to like construct something that looks like what I've done. Um, right. And so I try to avoid things like reconstructed. Um, I, I, I'm happy to use deconstructed, but even that, like, right? I mean, are we talking what D- Derrida was talking about in his philosophy? Because most people in the deconstruction community definitely not doing that maybe tiptoeing towards it um so yeah i i I, you call me anything you want really (laughs) i don't know i don't know where i'm at um and uh i probably i probably am deconstructed as um as derrida would kind of define it as as fully um uh, fully in a place of ultimately we cannot know anything um and to distrust anything that we do to be honest with you whatever you do think you know is probably the number one error your brain is deceiving yourself right now Um, and like being because that's where i am is just like i wouldn't call myself a deconvert or whatever but i just like i'm okay with being uncertain and like not like i don't want to hold on to anything because like that's what made me go crazy you know and that's not very inclusive language that's what made me go like really in the the pits of like my anxiety depression stuff like that was like certainty that was totally just 
I mean, I think now is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. How did that work for you? Did you feel that, because in my experience, that is not usually a linear overnight kind of doom doom. You don't go from like absolute certainty. I'm a Christian. I believe X, Y, and Z. You can cut my church bylaws and I believe them all. And I'm good, (laughs) you know, whatever, Um, Baptist, Methodist, whatever, evangelical. You don't tend to go from that to overnight going, "Ah, I don't know anything. And I'm really comfortable with that. Like, what was your, what was your journey? So why don't you kind of like um, give us a bit of an overview of how you kind of started that process? So I think like what really started it was like doing X, Y, and Z, like to a T, like being in the evangelical world, you know, praying, you know, Bible study, Bible college, having a mentor, having Christian friends, listening to Christian music, like genuinely, genuinely seeking Jesus and all of these things and like doing it all right, you know, and like, whatever. And like still ending up miserable and still Mm. being, it's kind of one of those things like, and I hate to use this term because I think it can be offensive, but like Stockholm syndrome where you're stuck in this place and you don't even realize you are a victim of abuse or, you know, whatever it may be. And that, you know, you're really, you really believe in it because you're told it's true. And you're also told the consequences of if you don't believe it's true. (laughs) And so it's like, man, I'm doing all these things, but I don't want to not do them because I know the consequences of it. So I'm just going to continue to do it because people keep on telling me it works. I heard somebody, somebody on my TikTok (laughs) said that evangelical Christianity is like a multi-level marketing scheme. (laughs) And I believe that fully, like you are promised something and it is never truly delivered you know and then but it's like oh but it's not to your understanding you're supposed to suffer I could go on um and so I think like once I was really faced with like how harm how much harm was caused in my life due to it it created a lot of apathy and a lot Mm. of anger anger at God you know anger at other Christian friends that I had that weren't providing healing that they, you know, just, I mean, like the cliches, you just like, I don't even want to say them because we know them, you know? Um, but just feeling really stuck. And so like feeling like apathy was my only out. Um, so like stopped going to church or just like really, really struggling with church, struggling with leadership at the church. Um, feeling very like outcasted just by my presence because I felt like different, like, why isn't this working for me when everybody Mm. else is so genuine, but like also hearing that they're struggling too. And that you just keep on having to like fight through it. And it's like, God, this is just like, this is miserable. This is not. Um, so I think it was like a long process of just like apathy and then realizing like in, you know, through my studies of my degree, like that things that I were told were concrete fact were like absolutely not black and white uh, and not what was your degree religion okay yeah so it's um the university of georgia they have a religion program and it's just like a an educational take and scholarly take on you know i had to take classes on islam and buddhism and east asian religions and mm. a lot of it was focused on christianity for my degree because that's you know what i wanted to understand the most um And just like going through it, like I heard original blessing for the first time. I heard the fact that like, you know, 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John weren't the authors of the gospels where I learned in Bible college that like, they say, I remember one of my teachers specifically saying, you know, the authorship is questioned some, but it's probably John. So it's John, you know, and it being like that, I took a class called the gospel of the most disputed gospel as well of like any kind of like, yeah, like we just have no, yeah. So like no idea. And so like, I literally took a class called the gospel of John where we went through an entire section of authorship. And I was like, are you kidding me? You know? And it's just like those moments where I'm like, I, I just feel so duped. And at the same time, like so many people believe in that because Mm it's, and, and there's almost this, like, if you take a scholarly approach to like biblical understanding and a non-biased, like scholarly, did I say scholar? I, I meant to say like um, secular approach. Right. Um, then it's the world's knowledge and it challenges mm-hmm. your faith and therefore it's from the devil. And that's not like, that's not how like biblical literature works. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it, so it's not. It's amazing how it's a double standard as well, because the second like uh, the secular world f- discovers something, like, oh, secular archaeologists found something that proves, you know, this was Jesus's <laughs> bedroom or whatever, or you know, it proves yeah. that, that Jesus were drowned in the sea, or uh, like suddenly it's like, oh, look, they've proved us right. But as soon as it's a secular discovery that's anything contrary, well, you can't trust worldly stuff, and I'm like. We trusted it earlier when you found this thing. I remember in my mom's group um, that I was in like a few years ago, somebody like uh, homeschools their children and specifically said like, yeah, they're asking me about carbon dating and stuff. They heard it somewhere and I had to sit them down and explain to them that carbon dating is false, but it's just a myth. And I was like, what am I in? Like, this is not cool. This is bigger than, you know, this is an infestation problem of just, like beliefs that were never intended to be placed into the Bible mm-hmm. that now is just our understanding. And so where like a scholarly secular approach brings a lot of truth and fact, people see that as a direct attack on the gospel sure. and Christianity because they understand it in a way that is very, um, how do I put this? <laughs> like whitewashed and Americanized and nationalized. And I know it's not just Americanized, but um, Westernized, Westernized. Yeah. Like to our understanding and it, it's just snowballed into this really big cult like understanding where it's like, you know, I made this stupid video that got a lot of attention. I keep on bringing up TikTok. I swear I'm not like 12 years old, but here I am. I love TikTok. Um, I had to delete my TikTok because I liked it too much. Really? So, yeah. <laughs> I've been actually having so much fun making content on there. Like, I don't know why. It's just, anyway. Um, but we did like a thing on how, like a little like acting thing on how biblical writers pulled a lot from pagan mythology because mm. that's just how literature worked back then. And that doesn't take away from the validity or truth or power of their stories. Sure. That's just how it is. You know, um, but because there's a lack of understanding of that in the Western church, it's like, oh, well, you're challenging God. And those are God's original stories. And of course, paganism ripped it off. And it's like, no, like you're not understanding. That's just how it worked back then. That's not changing what you believe. That's just it's just fact, you know, so it's stuff like that where 
all that to say, um, this like really repressive, like oppressive, uh, festering in the church just like led me to apathy. And then when I started learning that things weren't black and white and they were very gray and there was really no like truth that you could hold on to in a theological understanding or certainty, should I say, not truth, certainty. Um, that's just when it was kind of like, well, I can justify this and I can justify this. I don't know which one's right, but I don't think it's for me to decide or hang on to certainty on either end. Mm. And so I'm just in a place where I don't really care what I believe. I don't really care like what is true or what's not true. I just care about people's healing and agency and spiritual freedom and all of those things that are healthy for an individual yep. over what they believe, you know, yeah. and that, that's where I am. I don't awesome. care where anybody lands. I just care that they land in mental health, yeah. you know, and, and gaining a sense of self back when, you know, toxic spirituality and toxic religion has tried to steal that from them. So. Yeah. Are you guys familiar with like developmental models, like things like spiral dynamics or ETD or integral theory or any of these kind of things? Not ringing a bell. That is way above where okay. I, my, um, my set right. of studies is in. <laughs> I've heard of spiral dynamics. Okay. I have not, I've gotten too uh, entrenched into the Enneagram to okay. <laughs> Yeah. any more time i want to, i want to learn about spiral then sure dynamics. so enneagram is very like it's a fantastic model it's really helpful on a on a very individual kind of like where am i at and then maybe how you relate to different people who have kind of different makeups like these models are more like how do humans evolve in, internally how do we evolve as um, humans so every what they did is like about 100 years ago or so people all over the world started as psychology was taken off they were like huh people kind of changed their psychology i wonder if we could like map how it changes when they grow up like you know from a child do the psychologies of people change um, and they found out there's about 100 different developmental models now that have been developed over 100 years in all over the world and when they started obviously they weren't very connected because it was before globalism and stuff and they all kind of found exactly the same kind of linear steps um, and the reason i bring it up is um so one of the steps is kind of is called often traditional or conformist um, and that's really where most people that are in church um about 50 percent of america are in this stage or, or or before this stage but it's very much uh, you kind of give up your own autonomy to fit in the group to have safety to have certainty to have security and, and all those things are really good like you wouldn't have um you know the laws that govern our nation without stage traditional psychology you wouldn't have like um you know being safe in public you wouldn't be able to lock up a rapist or you know i mean really good things that are really helpful and healthy so it's not any stage is better or worse but what's interesting is the next kind of psychological stage that people break through um is it's kind of the modern stage it's also called um like individualism or autonomy um there's a whole bunch of different uh, terms for it but basically it's a kind of stage that you kind of you get to the point where you go hold on what about me right and you suddenly realize what about individuals though it feels like we're all giving up a lot here for this kind of cohesive group to feel safe and to feel certain about something and and at traditional stage you have to receive that that kind of safety and certainty you have to receive these rules and these laws and these things that make us come together and agree has to kind of be given by someone we all agree with agree that should be in charge and that's usually a king a pope a pastor a bible we love to use the bible um, it doesn't really matter what the bible says the bible can change what it says over time as long as we all agree 
Um, <laughs> but mm-hmm. what's really interesting is what you're kind of describing there, Rachel, though, is it's such a, a beautiful articulation of like going from that stage to suddenly quite a hard, like, actually, no, really what's important here is individuals need to be healthy and whole. And these are, they're giving up a lot in these systems and they're being actually hurt in these systems a lot of the time. Um, it's just a really, it's a beautiful articulation of like, oh, see, another example. This is actually how people grow. This is how it works. Um, and, and I think to me, I love models like this because a lot of people in deconstruction, it's a very uncertain time. We don't know what's happening. We don't know what's right, what's wrong, what's up, what's down. Um, and it also feels like what the hell is next? And I think that's the beauty of developmental models is if we can see ourselves kind of progressing, we can go, oh, well, scientists have studied this, for, you know, uh, psychologists have studied this for 100 years and they can tell us what's next in a general sense of how we will evolve. And, and so I love stuff like this. So I, I just thought it'd be interesting if you'd heard of that because you're describing your own journey in yeah. that that world. Um, yeah. Spiral dynamics is, is, is a great uh, one to yeah. study. Uh, I like that's what I so I'm gonna apply to get my PhD soon in uh uh, social like brain um social personality brain behavior I like hope that I get in I don't know what I'm gonna do if I don't get in but I'm applying to that program soon and I so like that is like my bread and butter like anything I can send you stuff stuff like that So, yes, I've been studying a lot recently. um, So there's something called ego development theory, which is similar, but it's basically how ego development ego is more like how we perceive the world and create our own identity within world. Um, And that, again, it also has like a very clear steps. It's kind of like nine stages, seven stages, eight stages, depends on which models. But it's so fascinating. You can literally like go, oh, yeah, this is how humans grow. Um, And it's really helpful if you're trying to help people as well, because you can go, oh, you're at this stage. I can't teach you in a way that you would teach someone at a later stage or an earlier stage. It's going to, it's just going to go either over your head or you're going to like hate that teaching and look down on it because it's prior to where you're at. And, um, and so, yeah, definitely shoot me a message and, and I can send you a bunch yeah. of really interesting stuff. I would, on that. I would love that. But yeah. I would love so that. Derek, what was your journey like? How did, how did you start to kind of unravel this stuff? Were, were you guys together at this point as, as you were kind of deconstructing? Yeah. yeah. I would say, our well, my personal first year of deconstructing was the year that we got engaged and okay. got married. Yeah, so that pushed you over the edge together. Yeah, what was that? I said that pushed you over the edge. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I was the straw that broke the camel's like, back. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, you know, Rachel didn't really share her upbringing, um, but I, I grew up in a very standard evangelical home, um, so. Christianity, uh, you know, in the non-denominational sense was pretty much, um, you know, taken as fact without really challenge and just growing up. And, um, I just remember from a very young age, just having, uh, I I believe to be a genuine desire to know God. And, um, as time went on, my understanding of all that and the way that I understood the world and saw myself was really through this lens of performance and seeing Mm -hmm. God as someone that I had to uh, essentially achieve perfection for in order to have like God's approval. And uh, similarly to like, I I felt that way about, you know, being a child of my parents. Like I felt like, you know, I had to be the best student. I had to be the best athlete, the, you know, all these things, but that was very much, um, interwoven into my spirituality as well. And so, you know, I felt like unless I 
you know, didn't read the Bible for an hour, I couldn't play with my friends in the neighborhood. I, if I didn't pray twice a day or something like that, like, oh man, and like I, maybe God wasn't happy with me. And it just became so performative. And yeah. I, I, as the years went on, I remember just this anxiety developing within me. Um, and it wasn't until much later on until the last couple of years that I realized that I've actually had undiagnosed um, obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. Uh-huh. Um, but without getting down that rabbit trail, uh, throughout my upbringing, I had this picture of God, um, again, just very difficult to please. Um, it was very external behavior. Um, mm-hmm. Don't say bad words. Don't watch porn. Don't, you know, um, don't do drugs. Like, I mean, like it was just all behavior, all, all yeah. this external stuff. And so I got really good at putting on a mask and really good at putting on a show. And even if I wasn't really there engaging with my heart, like, and I wasn't seeing real change in my life, like kind of the whole purpose of this thing, (laughs) um, I I was really good at having the right answers. And so anyway, all that to be said, growing up, um, it kind of reached this crossroads, if you will. Um, I think my deconstruction started when I, I guess, really embraced, um, you know, that, that point in development where your worldview that you were kind of handed, you, you start to own yourself. And so uh, this was like my first year of college. Um, I went through a really bad breakup and that pretty much sent me to rock bottom. And I was just Mm. pretty much confused about the direction I wanted to head in life. And you know, my mom growing up told me, oh, you're going to be a pastor, like all these things. And um, I just kind of came to a point where I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with, with my life, but I just had this desire to be involved in some capacity uh, in the church. And, um, you know, while that's changed, of course, <laughs> over the years and through my own deconstruction, um, it was at that point where I began like changing the way I see God, changing the way I see myself, um, you know, and I got involved in reformed theology and that's kind of where Rachel and I met mm. at a very Calvinist reformed yes. Bible college. And just met then me. I got, <laughs> exactly. It was predestined. Um, <laughs> and then from there I got more involved in like the charismatic circle and, you know, started understanding that sort of uh, way of looking at things. So I feel like deconstruction looked different early on. It was fairly safe and not risky. And then, um, and again, I didn't have words or language for it. I just saw it as just, you know, changing the way I saw things Mm -hmm. and, you know, to kind of pause in the story for a little bit, my brother-in-law, who's who's an atheist, and I uh, had a conversation not too long ago, and you know he um, he's really supportive, and we have great conversation a lot, very very stimulating uh, intellectual conversation, and he was like, well, you know, I try to tell people about what you guys are doing with Instagram and everything, but I I, I don't really know how to explain deconstruction, mm-hmm. and so you know, I really. I believe if I could define it um, because oftentimes people say, well, when did you start deconstructing or, you know, what was it that caused your deconstruction? I really believe deconstruction to be part of the human experience and it to be a fundamental way of our development or our evolution or growth. And I think that a lot of people leaving evangelicalism have really latched onto that because it helps frame 
um, our experience. Right. And so for me, yeah, just realizing that it wasn't sort of like a single event that triggered my deconstruction. It was this ongoing change of, of seeing things. So anyway, picking back up where I left off as I kind of went about through, um, just the charismatic world and everything. And, um, I started coming across teaching that had more of kind of like grace and, 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 and uh, I remember reading a Brennan Manning book called Abba's child. And that was yeah. like a huge turning point for me because I saw, I saw this God who I knew to be love and to be loving and a father, but it became really personal and it became really real to where, you know, God wasn't this distant, hard to please Omni being who sat enthroned in this place of unapproachability, but God was, this very real father who wanted to just love me for me mm-hmm. and at that whole mask wearing that I grew up believing I needed to wear. And that whole view of God that was just angry and, or not even angry, but just kind of like needed me to jump through all these hoops, needed right. me to do all these behavioral modification to like really be proud of me. Um, that started to die away as I, as I began to discover, um, you know, these things about unconditional love and, and whatever. And I don't mean to, to get too cliche, but that, that kind of really set the foundation for me. And mm-hmm. I think that really started to color my world that was so black and white and seeing how, how, how God's love really encompasses all things. And that, mm-hmm. you know, slowly made its way into me having language to, after I became a dad, I was like, Oh my gosh, I know God to be loving. I know to have this love that I have for my son. How can I can I drop an F bomb? Is that okay? Oh, always, yeah. Okay. How the fuck can we make sense of hell and and try to say that God's loving? Mm. And so I started to challenge hell. And it really got to a point where, you know, I was like, how come we've only had one sort of flavor of understanding? And so anyway, that, that, that was like when I started to have formal language for for deconstruction. Um, But anyway, that's kind of my story. And then from there, I've just, you know, I've been slowly making peace with uncertainty as well. Mm. And I feel, and a a lot of how I've been comparing deconstruction, reconstruction, and is, is a lot of inhaling and exhaling. It's breathing, right? Like, and like, are you deconstructing? Yes, I'm inhaling or whatever, or exhaling, however you want to refer to it. But to me, it's like, you can't breathe without one or the other. You need to sure. have both. And I, I, again, I, I see deconstruction so much of part of the human experience. So yeah. anyway, that's, yeah, that's been kind of my, my story. And um, I've been really fascinated by um, early church fathers, like patristic theology. Um, I'm starting to just like, get my feet wet into a lot of that over the last year or so. And um, there's something really uh, beautiful about how they, they approach God. I feel like there's a lot Mm. of, there's a lot of room for ambiguity and a lot of room for mystery and a lot of room for um, disagreement and diversity and thought. And I don't know, I just read people like St. Gregory of Nyssa and you know, some of the Cappadocian fathers and all those people. And I I just, they have such a profound way of talking about God that looks nothing like what you would hear from like a evangelical feel good point sermon that 
all right, pass the tithes and offerings around kind of thing. It, it I don't know. Anyway, I just, uh, and, and again, I know I'm kind of ranting a little bit. This but is one good. Of the that's really been striking me lately is this idea of panentheism, mm-hmm. this inseparability of God and all things. And, and while, while everything isn't God in my perspective, I, I believe everything to not be separate from God. Like God has woven God's self into all things. And right. So I just find it silly when we have, we try to create this dichotomy or this, this separation of, you know, saved and unsaved or, or Christian and non-Christian, all these things, these, this dualistic way of looking at the world and people, um, you know, good and evil kind of thing. You know, a lot of people, I, my view of seeing is God, God is everywhere, right? God is in all people and the Buddhist and the atheist and the whoever. And, I just love that we all get to see truth from other people's perspectives mm. and learn from one another. And I think there's so much beauty when, when you take that approach, um, you know, and you have people like Carl Rahner who have coined terms like the anomalous Christian um, or not an, an, an anonymous Christian. Anonymous. There we go. Not anonymous. anonymous Christian to where again, without kind of, diverting too far down another road. It, it's, it's really fascinating to me that we can all have these experiences of the divine and, you know, it, I don't know, like there's just so much to learn and so much to discover from one another. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm just enjoying just yeah. the fingerprints or, or the, the little pieces of divinity all around us. And, and, uh, yeah, instead of seeing an exclusive world, a very inclusive embrace uh, of God and all things. So, yeah, that's my. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's it's interesting to me. You know, like you look at those early church fathers, and they're they're pre-rational at this point, as far as how societies evolve and and the world is. Rationality hasn't it doesn't exist yet. We 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 haven't got it. We get that way later, like a thousand plus years later, and so you know, our rational, Western, logical, there's a right, there's a wrong, there's a up, there's a down, there's a left, there's a right, you know, like we, 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 and, and one plus one is two, two plus two is four, like, this is how it works. Um, that just isn't in their world yet. Maybe starting to eke in through kind of, um, you know, that kind of Greek kind of um, right. dialectical kind of like explorative way, um, you know, Aristotle and these guys um, kind right. of like, creating some frameworks for that but on the whole it's just not there they're they're mystical in the way they approach it they they have an approach of we don't know let's kind of like discuss let's let's bounce ideas backwards and forwards um and and weigh up and and yeah like you can you can read back into it very rationally and make it a rational discussion between people and how they're weighing up and they're they're doing all the stuff that we do today but that's (laughs) like reading the bible and saying oh yeah look they're they're explaining dating culture and it's like Right. <laughs> not right no one yeah. ever went on a date in the bible um yeah. and so like you know um so it's, it's it's how we like but it's so fun when you um can kind of almost come post-rational which is quite a, yeah. like this is i mean it's a postmodern kind of thing it's very right. on the whole we're not there yet as a society but we look across somewhere like america most of us are still if we're lucky sitting in the rational stage even in deconstruction we're very rational generally speaking that's what's driven us out of the church is we're, we're too rational right we get too rational <laughs> the beauty of the church is it goes look we're rational too look we read the bible and we'll tell you what it means and we'll tell you how it works and we'll explain it all rationally but the problem is if you really do that you look too close and it starts to not add up right like you're saying which I, like, well 
yeah, but you told me that this is definitely written by John. And I'm yeah. closer, and it's probably not. Like, who the fuck wrote this, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and the problem is when you do that so black and white, well, then it kind of almost leaves people with this extremism where it's like, well, obviously it's all crap, and they run off, right? It's like you see people discovering, I don't know, evolution, or that the Earth's like millions, billions, trillions. Yeah. It's, it's, it's older, you know? Whether it's, right. you know, whatever, 4.3 or 6.8 or whatever we're looking at, we're talking billions. We're not talking a few thousand. Suddenly it was you go six literal days or seven. You but, know. Well, it was six literal days. We can all agree on that. But it was just billions <laughs> of years. No, uh, you know, it's like, obviously Genesis is a scientific geological book. We all can agree on that fact that this is what these people were. They were geologists discussing Absolutely. how the world is great. Um, but that's the problem you. when when you when you go oh no our book is rational and it is literal and it does tell you how this works is then when it clashes with something that is working with a lot of empirical data it loses because mm-hmm. there is an either or option on the table and so science right. beats religion and people just go oh suck screw, screw this I'm out um, right and I think it's quite fascinating that as Christianity has evolved and tried to keep up by being more rational, by being more like, well, no, like we can answer the problems of life through this book that we have. Um, it's actually shot itself in the foot because actually, if you can read the book as a mystical text, like the early yeah. church fathers read it, like the Jews always read it, right? Jewish people right. are right. crying with laughter over the fact that Christians think this book is to be read literally. Like they literally right. look at us and go, can you believe the Christians over there? They're insane. And it's yeah. Yeah. so true, right? And if it's not there, and the bits that aren't their book were written by Jews. So we're still talking <laughs> largely their kind of world. It was a very like um, mystical way of writing. It just fascinates me. It really it intrigues me. But it's interesting how when you go to post-rationality, you can almost go back and understand pre-rationality in a way that the, the Christian church is trying to be rational. It's just, it's losing itself in it. Right. It's, it's quite fascinating. Well, I feel um, like that's yeah. like what's been the biggest hand in why Christianity has become so radicalized is because like with the presence of and the like fact of science, like that feels like persecution because then you're Mm -hmm. faced with fact that directly does not correlate with what you have been taught as truth your whole life. And so it's like, I'm, I'm taught this in school. I remember um, like being taught evolution in uh, high school and Christian best friend had like the biggest problem with it. And she was like, um, Jesus created the earth or God created the earth. You know, at the time it was like, they couldn't go hand in hand. And yeah. she was just like, but it's, it's that belief that like, like truth and fact feel like persecution feel like mm-hmm. you have to choose between like a logic factual way of living and, and put the Bible within its context in that or become like super radicalized, super just small-minded and exclusive, denying any sense of truth or fact at all to rationalize what you have misunderstood from like what Western theology has taught you. Yeah. And so it's like, I I feel like the biggest reason there is a persecution prize is due to that because there is not this understanding or this concept of what, of how it should be read if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's just oh, yeah. Like, so yeah, that that's just kind of my two cents of, yeah. I think it goes deeper than like, you know, and I, I hate to even bring it up, but like the legalization of the LGBTQ community being able to get married in America, that was huge. That happened in 2015, yeah. you know? And I remember like, everybody was like, this is persecution. This is like, Jesus is coming back. And it's like, are you, is this a, yeah. this is a joke, right? Like you can't possibly think that this is it. 
you know, and it's just because like they are so rigid into in their understanding of what mm-hmm. truth is that like this like false morality becomes what is law and what yeah. is the mark of Jesus's return. And that's what was the right. catalyst of my deconstruction was the book of revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, <laughs> the book of revelation. I could pop off on that, but you know, and like understanding like what apocalyptic literature is mm-hmm. and understanding like how the book of revelation is supposed to be read. Um, just like changed everything for me and just made wow. me see like Christian nationalism for what it truly is, yeah. you know? Um, and yeah, like I just, it just like, you kind of laugh at persecution now. It's like, yeah. it's so- you guys are the ones persecuting. Right. Like, exactly. It's like year of the 666 Nero right. persecuting the minority <laughs> Christians. Um, exactly. Yes. Christianity has become Nero. <laughs> weirdly and the lgbt community are a small fringe group that are trying to live their lives and are being downtrodden um so yes persecution is alive today you're right but you are the persecutor it's it's a fascinating but it's interesting because if you look at the like where that person is it's really hard for us I, i i read this thing a while back and it really has been fucking with my head but we can't so talking about how we evolve psychologically our way we think the way we see our world is changing and growing when we remember our past we can't remember our prior psychology so we insert our current psychology into that memory and so we in the past think like i think right now so what's interesting is i think back at my christian time and i think i'm really rational and i was looking at the stat and i was weighing it all and maybe i was doing that in some weird way but actually I wasn't, I was very fundamental. I was very like locked in. I was very like part of this world that I totally bought into, but it's just, you can't really look back and see that. But if on some level I can, if there's any level of empathy that can do that, I can look at myself and go, yeah, I would have been absolutely persecuted by gay people being able to marry. The reason being because that's an attack on my religion and I am that religion. There, there is no disconnect between me. My identity is so interwoven with this set of rules and this book and this whatever that a change to that set of rules is a fundamental change because it causes me this existential crisis because you're actually fucking with me and who I am. So there's this thing of like, that's scary as hell and that really fucks with people on a psychological level. Um, and so it's it's funny, like looking at it going, uh, you are crazy and you realize that you're the persecutor not actually being persecuted here. Um, but on some level, if we can get into the mind of the toddler that falls over and bumps its knee and we go, I've had a grazed knee before. I know it's not the end of the world. But if we can get into the head of the toddler who's never had a grazed knee, and go, holy shit, you actually think this is the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And it is the worst thing that ever happened to you. Oh, buddy. Like, yeah, wow, this sucks. Like, like, do you know what I mean? It's, it's getting into the mind of someone that just thinks a totally different way. Um, mm-hmm. It's fascinating because it feels like we end up with this dualistic war of two people yeah. going, you are crazy because you don't have the same construct that I have of the world and therefore are experiencing the world very painfully because of the other person um it's a weird i I don't know how we navigate that well i I think it's a really challenging thing Um, yeah how do you i think for me i just like find myself engaging less and less and like i know a lot of people out there like seek to challenge and for me it's just like i just like want to live my life and like and be with those that have been broken 
by what promised them healing. Um, and it's like, people will come. And if like the haters want to come, like, you know, like I'll pop off on them. Let's go. But <laughs> I'm not going to go out like looking for that. And like my block list is like a mile long. Cause it's just like, when you do engage in that number one, it's super triggering. Like I am not at that place where it's not triggering, you know, because I still have a lot of pain of like lost friendships of things that I did in my evangelical days that I look back on and am horrified, you know, and it's, it's still going through that like self-forgiveness process. Yeah. Um, thinking about just that mindset as a whole that is just like spreading the misinformation and and the abusive theology that are still harm like actively harming people and people are still victims to that abuse and don't know it so like that is very triggering for me just like knowing that those messages are being like preached at people that have no idea how deep their harm is And so that's, I think, why it's so triggering for me. And I just can't, I choose not to engage um, because I know that like we have uh, our community and I'm so thankful for them. And they, you know, go back and forth of things that just like are are frustrating. And it's like this safe community of like sharing, like we were so fucking duped. Like it's just that realization that's like, wow, you know. And it's kind of not saying that it's a lost cause because I don't think anybody is truly a lost cause, Mm -hmm. but just knowing that like, it's, it's not my responsibility as a victim of that abuse to go and fix them and their problem and, and their exclusion and their abuse. But I can choose to do that. You know, I can choose at certain points to like share my education, share my knowledge that I've gotten from my degree if I want to, you know, they are not owed that and they will not demand because I think that's a lot of what, um, Christians, I don't want to overgeneralize, but that type of Christian demands is, well, where's your proof? Where's your evidence? Where's your sources? Why do you believe this? Well, they don't have to prove anything because it's a privileged way of thinking. And so it's unchallenged. Why would it be? Yeah. Like assume that they're right. And so it's like anything that I say that's based off of scholarly research that has been thoroughly like looked into and, and proven, I then have to somehow prove that I'm right when like you have nothing except for like tradition on your side. Right. You know, and so it's like very frustrating and very Hardly triggering. Tradition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like 200 yeah. years, 300 years, you know. Um, but it's, yeah, it's one of those things where it's just like, you just like want to like pop them and hope that it'll be like, oh, I, I see it, you know, right. like my, but, my eyes have been opened. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I would never obviously do that, but it's just one of those things that like, it's exhausting. Yeah, it's exhausting it because then when you cite the sources and you give them fact and you give them that education that they're asking for it's worldly knowledge and you are then satan himself that's deceived yeah Yeah. you know so it's just this like run around and i just like do i'm learning better and better to not engage because like i sacrifice my healing and who i want to be when i engage inappropriately Mm -hmm. and that's on me that's not on them i know you know those certain situations don't bring out the best in me and 
it is an active decision on my part with the healing that I've gained to engage in that and or engage in that inappropriately. And I've been doing it inappropriately, inappropriately recently. So that's yeah. why I've been like out of the comments more. Cause I yeah. do like, I'll just get frustrated cause somebody like, and it's just cool what people say. Mm-hmm. Like somebody on my, mm-hmm. uh, my comment section the other day went to one of my videos and I was talking about biblical inerrancy. Mind you, this man just defended John MacArthur after I shared a video of John MacArthur literally defending slavery um, and said that, you know, uh, I was just a very angry individual with daddy issues and it's on full display for everybody to see and that I'm incre- uh, uncredible because of that. And I just wanted to reply back, you know, I do have daddy issues. You're right. But that does not make me, in, uh, un- I keep on saying incredible. I am incredible. Just kidding. <laughs> um, incredible. Uh, I think that I have more clarity because of that, you know, mm-hmm. um, I am currently in CPTSD recovery in in my therapy because of a lot of abuse that I faced. But I think that that gives me more of a credible voice because I have been through that abuse and I've also been in the midst of healing of it. Yeah. So it's like when somebody tries to make me out to seem like a very angry, vengeful person, you know, I am angry. That's very, that's very true. Like who wouldn't be angry when they're, awoken to how much abuse is going on around them and how much injustice is going on in, in brainwashing and mental health of individuals who feel helpless and powerless to it, you know, don't even know because they're told that that's truth and that you should feel that way. You should, you know, this world is not your home. So if you're miserable, miserable, it doesn't matter because you're just going to go to heaven and you're going to feel better. And it's just, Oh, it's so frustrating. And so I am angry. Makes you angry. Yeah. And I do, like, I do have like these issues and I know that, but I think that that gives me a lot more passion and a lot more perception of where the bottom is and the process and where you can be, because I'm not like, I'm not sitting here festering in my bitterness. I'm doing something about injustice that I see. And I think that's the goal. And that's the point. And if I sound angry, it's because I fucking am yeah, like yeah. I'm watching my friends who are still in it, like preach things against like the LGBTQ community. That's harmful. I will mm-hmm. never not be angry about that. And and that's not fair to tone police people who are standing up for injustices and fighting for people to receive healing. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, I, yeah. Ugh, it's I, a remarkable I, lack of self-awareness as well because why is he commenting on your shit because he's angry he went through like 20 videos and commented and the only thing i said back to him i was like omg you're obsessed with me <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Amazing. Like, what are you what are you doing on my page if you disagree with me so i obviously have struck a chord that's so you obviously funny. are so like supremacist in your thinking that you can't possibly handle somebody thinking differently right. than you, you know yeah. it's just one of like it just makes me so thankful that I am no longer harmful in that way of ensuring people think like me and getting mad when people don't, you know, the only thing I get mad at is harm being caused Mm -hmm. and the nuances of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting though, because I think that we have created this illusion of connection at times on social media or not even illusion of connection. I won't go that. I I mean like an illusion of 
communication. That's what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say to where it's like we're engaging, but we, I mean, like I, I, I posted a, speaking of TikTok, I posted a video to where I'm like, guys, what, what the fuck are we doing to where we think it's okay to yeah. just go up to a stranger on their, their post, their video, whatever. And just be like, I don't know you, but you're an idiot or like (laughs) whatever. Like you don't know anything. Your logic is flawed. Right. Like assume that you, (laughs) assume that you know everything about them. Assume that you know uh, how credible or not they are, whatever. It's like we go straight into attack mode and it's like, I, I, I came up with a scenario. It's like, can you imagine if you were out in public? It's like Rachel and I are talking, having a conversation at the yeah. grocery store, and someone just comes in, butts in. Hey, you know what? You don't know shit. Um, one mm, of two things would happen. Okay. One, you would get chewed out, or two, you would get like hit in the face. Um, <laughs> like, you just, people have this weird audacity on the internet when it comes to social media mm, to where, weird. like, we've stripped each other of our humanity. Well, it's that. Mm. And people will justify it. Well, you shouldn't have put it on the internet. And it's like, mm. that's it. like you were, you still like have a set of, and it's funny because it's like the Christians who preach morality and like, how do you have morality? If you don't have the Bible, that's what they believe. Right. And then these things that are so like immoral and say such harmful, hurtful things under but it's because speaking they the have, truth and love, but it's yeah. exactly so they can justify whatever, like calling people an idiot, calling people stupid, like your logic is just dumb, all that stuff, and and they won't be challenged because they have morality because mm. they believe like certain things about sex, certain things about you know certain cuss words, certain things, you know, and it's like okay because and I feel like that's like the marker, like if people. Like when you talk about morality and like a civilization, you always look at, or Christians always look at how they treat sex mm-hmm. and the culture around it. So like when people say immorality, they think of um, like sexual assault. They think of like, are they having sex before marriage? Do they practice uh, polygamy or polyamory? Do, you know, are they LGBTQ inclusive? And like those things are like the marker of morality for them. So it's like beyond that, because that has been so trained within Western Christianity, that's that's really what we should care about mm-hmm. because it's so centered around purity culture. It gives a pass to so many other things. But the, the shit is, is that when a pastor or a man is found out to have committed a sexual assault within the walls of a church mm-hmm. or whatever, there is no accountability. Right. There, it's a pardon because, oh, they're Christian, so they're forgiven. Mm-hmm. And it's like a vertical relationship instead of an accountability where you have a victim of abuse, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. But it makes sense so- as well because it's linked to a Bronze Age code of ethics regarding sex, which are linked to women, is, women are property. We don't have mm-hmm. contraception, so we need to ensure virginity to ensure property and such follows through yeah. a certain lineage. So we need you to be a virgin so I can guarantee, God forbid you marry anyone that's like ridden a horse or anything. I'm sure they didn't ride many horses back then, or, you know. But, you know, there's all sorts of problems with this. But these are the sort of things. It's like property, um, family, power dynamics. Um, virginity was extremely important in that culture for whatever amount of worked reasons. But none of those really applied to men and none of those were enforced on men. Even in the Jewish culture, you, you go read how they enforce a lot of this stuff. 
men slept around a bunch. Men had multiple partners. It wasn't that big a deal. And to be honest with you, women having other partners once they'd had a, a, a firstborn, not as big a deal either, actually, which is quite fascinating. If you look at like the, the Talmud and how they kind of like expanded these kind of um, codes and looked at it, it was frowned on, but like it wasn't like, you know, suddenly this be all end all. And it was because of these property rights and things like that. So now what we're doing is in like, you know, 21st century, we're imagining that like what people back in the day fell in love and got married and went on dates and got engaged and had a big <laughs> engagement party well, and then they had like what are we talking yeah, about these yeah. these women were bought as children yeah. by other children's parents right i mean on the whole maybe sometimes bought by some slightly weirder person that didn't have money early on and then by the time they were older they bought a young girl um they wait till they have a period they rape them and that is marriage that is like the beautiful traditional marriage that we're modeling. And so in that context, when the powerful man sleeps with another woman, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe if she's a young virgin that got ruined because she was ruined, that literally is how we see it because we see it again through a 4,000 year old set of codes. Like it, it doesn't bring into play that, oh, contraception. Oh, women aren't property. I think, right? Yeah. We're still kind of doing a lot of the property stuff, but we, we at least on the surface can agree that we don't articulate that the women are property, right? Um, these things change. And as they change, a lot of this stuff should fall apart, but it hasn't. It's still built on this set of codes. So the pastor on in many levels, it's why in youth group, if the guy sleeps with another girl, not that big a deal, right? Like it's quickly forgiven. You can pray it away. The girl, you fucked up. You, you're done. Yeah. Who's going to want to be with you, right? That's not the language okay. around a guy that slept with someone. Um, and so it's such a uneven standard based on, I'm not going to say good, but based on logical rules that were put in place when they were logical thousands of years ago. They're not right. logical anymore. Yeah. But if you make this a timeless code forever because God gave it from on high and this is the way it has to be, you don't really have any options. You, you right. are in that rock and hard place where you're just working with this kind of Bronze Age code in this weird 21st century world where none of this is actually happening we're not buying women that you know we've got contraception like it's it's, it's weird it's really right. weird like at, at the wedding we don't all gather around a tent and then when they're having <laughs> sex wait for them to throw a white sheet over the ends covered in blood to prove that she was a virgin that was part of the jewish marriage ceremony we don't yeah. do that anymore um well, it's just yeah. like come on let's not kid ourselves it's yeah. just so messed up Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the thing is too, I mean, like with purity culture, with all of the, the weird morality that exists in the church today, kind of like what I was talking about with my upbringing, it's all about this outward appearance of yeah. being pious, of being like moralistic. Like, you know, you don't, you don't say bad things. You vote for the the Republican candidate, you mm-hmm. tied 10. Like, I remember if I got birthday money as a child, give 10% because you got it. Nice. You're, you're taking money from the Lord. Like just, I mean, it's all about crossing every T mm-hmm. and dotting every I of what you need to do. But what ends up happening is that it's more about, do you believe the right thing? So let me check it off mentally, or I've ascribed to these things mentally. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll assent to these things. And then, oh yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, um, I'll, you know, have this all external, you know, picture of perfection when in reality it's just empty. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like 
then you have so many people walking around judgmental mm-hmm. who think that they're better than everyone else. Yeah. And I felt prey to that, you know, and, and I, I, you know, it's just crazy to me because you, I remember this, like, sorry, go ahead. No, I just, <laughs> I it, it's, um, it's just crazy to me because there's so many people outside of, especially outside of like evangelical Christianity that are far more exhibiting the nature of Jesus than, than people within, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, again, it just goes to show you how much like the church has lost sight of mm-hmm. the essence of what Jesus was getting at and is getting at. Um, yeah. I, I just, I'm baffled that it's become such an, an external focus that, mm-hmm this inclusive love that many progressives are looking to embrace like myself, it's seen as like evil because Mm -hmm. love, which is the essence of it all. It's, it's all about conforming to an external picture of perfection. That's determined by this strict community. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's anyway, it's just, it's so weird. It's backwards. That are usually like privileged and middle-class and white and don't have generational trauma or if they do, they hide it, you know, and they have away. access to mm-hmm. Bibles already and a really good church that they go to that teaches really like Hellfire Broomstone or, you know, or, anyway. or, or pep talks, <laughs> you know, whatever. and I think about that, though, um, like, you know, one of my old friends before I deconstructed, um, she is a very like. I think one of the most judgmental people I have met in terms of her theological stance. Mm. Um, Where was I going with this? My mind got distracted of how frustrated I am at her. Uh, We don't talk anymore (laughs) because she sent me like a a 12 page PDF document of how my theology is wrong. And yeah. Oh yeah. And how I was not saved. I did. And I sent it to my therapist and I cried and I sent it to one of our old roommates that we shared um, just so I could like have her look at it. Cause I called her just bawling. Cause I was like, she was like a mutual friend of ours. Right. Um, but at the end she said like, since my theology has changed and because I have struggled with depression and anxiety and my eating disorder um, that like, to her, her interpretation, she said, you know, nobody can truly know, but just where I feel uh, the spirit is speaking to me is that you were never truly saved. Wow. And you were the seed that fell on the rock that sprouted, but dried up. Mm. Um, and it was like very insulting. And I had never had my salvation questions like that before. Right. It was just, I say salvation, you know, yeah. my conversion question like that before especially by somebody that I trusted so closely. And, you know, after do you, who was doing, a bridesmaid in your wedding? Oh, and I love friends. it because I was second in line at her wedding. And so I ruined all of her pictures now. Oh no. Because yeah. Absolutely. Can't see me outside of them. Um, which like is <laughs> all indication for me. Uh, but, and like at the end, she's like, there's no judgment at all, Rachel. If you ever want to get to know Jesus, I will never say I told you so, but you're a false teacher. And so I can't talk to you anymore. After I had already deleted her off of Facebook and told her I didn't want to talk to her again, she sends me this. And then they have, you've got to have the last word though. Oh, when, always. when it's so, about being right. Yeah. But there was like this side of reflection um, through like how, however long it's been and, and doing my own healing. And 
I realized like she was middle-class had amazing parents. I love her parents. Um, nothing like her surprisingly. (laughs) Um, she like believes that they aren't even saved. It's, it's, it's bizarre. Uh, but yeah, I just realized like she has never experienced like true, like abuse and betrayal in her life before, you know, and, and, and repeatedly, you know, like that's the environment that I grew up in when I was, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I started showing signs of CPTSD. I had to go to special needs classes because, um, I just like had no attention in reading. I had very like, it just, it was awful. You know, I started getting sick with my eating disorder in middle school, just really bad. Um, and so for me, I was not, I guess, I hate to say the word privilege, but I, I, I wasn't raised in a very safe environment where I could just read the Bible, get it, feel a safe attachment to a spiritual figure and trust what they were saying, you know? And I feel like with somebody who hasn't experienced that trauma or, you know, had a safe church community, abusive theology doesn't seem abusive, sure. you know, yeah. because they've not experienced that. And so part of her argument was that, you know, the reason that, uh, church has traumatized me in certain ways is because Christ hasn't revealed to me the truth of his word and therefore it's going to hurt mm. and it's going to seem like abuse. And isn't that isn't the that fucked crazy? up thing too? No. And, and, and I'm glad that you said that because it is crazy how Christianity has warped love and warped truth to be synonymous with being a total ass and treating people oh, yeah. like shit if they disagree with them. So truth and love are synonymous with this should hurt you. This should cause you to feel like a visceral response. And that's Mm -hmm. equated to conviction. Mm -hmm. Like shouldn't. So like if, if we really believe, right. We being like, if, if you call yourself Christian, whatever brand flavor or whatever, if you think that God is love and that like love is a univocal meaning. Like there's not like, it's not like, Oh, love can mean this. And you know, when you start to change love to be Mm -hmm. like, Oh, it's synonymous with you feeling horrible about yourself. At what point does it just turn Mm -hmm. into being like self-hatred and like, well, that's the thing is like, that's what a lot of Christians believe in though, is they so yeah. reject the self-love movement yeah. that they've clung to self-hatred. Yeah. And I know that there's this, I keep on bragging on John MacArthur, but he's just the, my most recent. He's a good character. Know, sure. He's guy, pretty easy. Yes. Um, that I've really like just been so disgusted by. Um, he did a sermon and I remember listening to it in the midst of my depression about self-hate and I was like, this is so free. I can about hate self-love. myself. No, it was about self-hate, about oh, hating okay. yourself and about how you should have a full rejection of self to mm-hmm. become like Christ and how the Bible like commands self-hatred essentially. And I remember listening to the sermon, doing my puzzle, being like, this makes so much sense. I don't need to love myself, mm-hmm. you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, how like like any any psych psychologist 
will sit there and be like, what the fuck was that? Like that is the most toxic. And the more study I do on attachment theory, um, the more I realize like fundamental Calvinist doctrine does not line up with what breeds and fosters safe attachment and how like with there needing to be a safe attachment for there to be trust, be love, be, you know, a functioning relationship. How is that commanded that we don't have that within our spiritual relationship with this loving God? You know, how can I just overcome these very unsafe things and just like trust him? That's not logical. And that's not like all the study on like brain behavior and personality all of these things, it does not coincide. Those yeah. two things do not coincide. Yeah. And so it's, do you sacrifice your mental health? Well, you have to. You mm-hmm. have to to abide by these yeah. like theological understandings yeah. that are incredibly harmful. Yeah. So. But I think, I mean, even the concept of mental health is 150 years old, maybe. Maybe. Really very generous there. Um, and so, I mean, again, it's talking about modern marriage 200 years we've been marrying for love and going oh the bible talks about marrying for love all the time you know it's like going oh when they said go to jericho they meant by helicopter probably not right probably talking (laughs) on foot or by horse or you know it's like that's the kind of like and so when you go oh what does the bible say about mental health it's like well it probably says a lot of things that you could read and apply to really help your mental health but also we have to understand this is written by a bunch of people that didn't really give a fuck about mental health and knew nothing about mental health really you know and so it's it's fascinating Or, or even like you know you talk about love and it's like well how can people say well god is love and then they make me feel like shit and that's loving right. and it's like yeah easy because that's what their god does god is love and he right. makes them feel like shit when they're not doing the right thing right. so they're just modeling what their god is like right and so on on some level like we just look like the god that's portrayed to us no wonder Absolutely. right it, it, it's um I, I, remember, I don't know if you're familiar with John Piper, but he's, he's another one sticking in the same category. I'm sure you are. You, you went through reform stuff. But. Frequent passion. Oh, yeah, so. absolutely. They're all in the club of like, what the fuck? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I remember him writing the big, I, I don't know if you saw it, it was an open letter. It was about five years ago to a girl that had an eating disorder um, and she wrote to John Piper and he wrote an open letter response um, and basically said, it's good that you hate yourself, that you... Um, you know, you deny yourself, you do all these things because this is a good Christian thing. He said, you're doing it in an unhealthy way, but what you need to do is channel that energy into true spiritual self-denial, hatred of self and and allow yourself to love who God is in you or whatever. Um, anyway, the, the obviously horrific, but it got shared a lot and lots of reformists were, you know, doing the circle jerk and having a good wank over that. Um, <laughs> but this um psychiatrist did an open letter response to john piper which i loved it's really good if you want to check it out you should i can't remember what it's basically an open letter to john piper if you type in eating disorders psychiatrist something like that it'll, it'll bring it up on google um but she basically wrote down and she's like look i work in the field of um of mental health and i specialize in studying how religion affects it and she says and actually religion can be very helpful for mental health. You're right. Religion, if channeled properly, can do that. But what's interesting is across the board, reformed Calvinistic theology, any theology that includes original sin, uh, depravity, depravity yeah. categorically harms people across the board constantly. Some people do, are healthy in that environment, but it's usually because 
they're very healthy people and they're very fortunate. Like you're talking about, a, yeah. a privileged person can get by in that environment. And that's wonderful for them if it works for them and it's helpful as long as they're not actively harming people. I think, like, you know, like that's great that you found something that works for you on some level, but it's not going to work for a lot of people and it's going to harm a lot of people. And so she talks about like, you know, different forms of spirituality and religion that are really helpful. And I just thought it's so fascinating how it's what you're talking about it's, it's this privilege of we haven't had that external pressure that's caused us to change and suddenly this environment is not a good place for us to be it is not healthy it's yeah. i don't know putting a toddler in high school or putting a high school person in preschool i don't know like you know just this is not the way it should work we should grow and we should go to the appropriate place we are at for our journey um, and I would say people that have abusive backgrounds, harm, all sorts of different stuff, probably not a reformed church. Don't hang out with John MacArthur, John Piper. I mean, I would say that for most people, um, <laughs> but it's, it's just fascinating. And, and it's just, it's so painful, but I, I totally like it. It's that thing of looking back and going, what the fuck are these guys smoking? Like, how do you think that's love? Like you look at the Westboro Baptist church, how do you think that's love? And then you go, oh, can you explain your relationship with God? And they talk about the legalism and the daily guilt and the shame and the fear of God and how they're constantly terrified that they might not actually be chosen and they might go to hell even though they're trying to have a relationship with God and do the right thing. And you go, oh, I can see why you're a total, you're that person to other people because you're, you're literally modeling the God you worship. You right. look like the gods that you worship. Um, and I think that's why even in deconstruction, even if people hold on to some form of God, the goal is to help them journey that out and hopefully find healthier, more um, yeah, more healthy models of God, of the divine, whatever that Absolutely. looks like. Um, but yeah. yeah. So how did you guys start doing what you're doing online? Like how did you transition from your own kind of... Um, deconstructive journeys to start going hey we should talk about this online we should help other people we should try and gather people what what kind of kickstarted that why, why did you take off like that so it wasn't ever and i think derek and i were surprised by the response because we didn't know the best community that you know the deconstruction community had already you know been in in process mm. and so we just created an instagram kind of to talk about our experience and kind of letting our friends and family and whoever else wanted to follow along know yeah. what our findings were, what we've been through, because there was such a big shift. Um, and it just kind of, we had a lot of fun with it. It was challenging. Um, but then we made that church trauma post <laughs> and it just kind of like, we went from like, I think it was like 300 something followers, which we thought was a lot and went to, I think like 15,000 within one month. Um, so it was, it was a very big growth in a very short amount of time. And so it was like imposter syndrome. Cause I feel like some people like make Instagrams and like set out for it to be big and be impactful and like have a clear goal and a clear purpose. But it was something that like, we were just like having a good time with to, Oh my oh my gosh, like we have to, you know, start being a voice and like be responsible. And so it was like the imposter syndrome, the, you know, are we qualified? Are we good enough for this? But I think we've really been striving because I I just see myself as part of the community that's learning with everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think Derek feels similarly. I don't want to speak for him, but, yeah. um, you know, 
I have an education under my belt, but that I still don't feel like qualifies me to be, you know, a large voice. I, I just share what I feel gives empowerment to people in a similar place. Because um, I think with our personalities, I just like don't care if somebody disagrees with me. Um, I mean, it still hurts my feelings. I'm human, but I'm working on it. But I, I, it's easy for me to just like move on because I know that like what I'm doing, I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for the people that need, needs that validation and that our community will find us and the people that need to hear, you know, not in like a spiritual, like the people who need to hear what we are saying, but like genuinely like a person who needs to feel empowerment and feel like they are validated and seen like that's, that's our goal. Our goal Mm -hmm. is like, validation, giving somebody their agency, letting somebody know that it's okay to question where they've not been told that they've, they were allowed to. And I feel like though I'm not really a person that likes a large following because I just, not that I'm a private person. I'm just, I don't feel adequate, I guess is the right word. Mm. Um, I'm really thankful because it does give a little bit more credibility to our words and give yeah. gives people that um, trust and security that what we're saying, we're not just flippant about it. And what we're saying is like genuine and they can hang on to it a little bit more with, you know, the community that we have being the size that it is, yeah. you know, and they can see other people getting validated and they don't feel wrong for, feeling that way and resonating with something that might go against what they've learned their whole life. Mm-hmm. So in that we're thankful. I, yeah. And just kind of uh, piggybacking off of what she was saying, I think it's, it's more of that people can find that they're not alone when they yeah. see, Oh man, there's other people here yeah. too. Oh, like this is incredibly validating, not just from a content perspective, but from a, Man, there's a other people, right? And yeah. so, like, I, yeah, I, we, like Rachel said, we did not expect things to happen in the way that they did. But I mean, such as life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really does. It's been such a joy to to meet so many right. amazing, beautiful people. Um, you know, and, and we're learning so much. Like, we have our Facebook community group, which has just been. I think where a lot of our community happens, actually sure. I know where a lot of our community happens where I learn so much from people and, you know, other people learn so much from things that we post. And it's just this like communal sharing of knowledge and just this like wealth of perspective and information yeah. that I feel very fortunate to be a part of, you know? And so it's like, I feel like we're facilitators, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like we facilitate a community and perspective that I feel is like an, an echo of how people have been feeling, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. That's exciting. We, we need that a lot. I mean, the messages I get day in, day out are, Oh my God, I didn't even know this was a thing. Never mind that there's millions of people out there. Um, it's, it's just wild because it is a very lonely process and it's very hard to find people that are going through this process, despite yeah. it being the fastest growing uh, spiritual movement in the West. I mean, there's no yeah. movement spiritually moving faster than people deconstructing their faith and deconverting. Right. And, and there's a whole kind of gamut that that can fall into. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's so much importance for community and, and it's the number one thing I get requests all the time. I, I, point, I point people to your stuff all the time. I've never been on your Facebook group. I don't have Facebook. So I'm like, I've heard that, you know, some people have said this is great. I, I see these guys talk about their Facebook group. You can go check out their Facebook group because I'm like, yeah. you don't really have groups on Instagram and stuff. I, I just don't do it. I do a Discord server for my supporters and right. that's it. Um, and so I'm like, sorry, I can connect you locally. I've got resources to help kind of connect people locally. Right, You've got your network, right? Sure. Yeah. And it's not my network even. I mean, I'm like you guys, I'm just like, oh, here's a resource. It's free. I made it. It breaks often. Just use it and hope it yeah. doesn't break today. Um, but uh, I can do that. But like, I'm just like, oh, I just have not got the space, time, et cetera. Right now, I'm, I'm helping people one-on-one much more. Um, but yeah, I mean, I send people your, your guys' way all the time for for the group because it's really important. And it's, and it's important. I don't think the online ever replaces the the connection in person that's why i prioritize that because i just think that when i see people people send me messages and they're like wailing on audio message going i've I've found someone we went for like a a drink and it's amazing and like i've never i've not felt this connected to someone for four years or you know i mean like that's the kind of stuff that people are going through some people have not connected on a spiritual level for a decade with someone yeah because even their partner's not going through it or whatever you know Um, and so it's so lonely but like that that middle ground of an online community is so huge it's a lifeline for a lot of people because they're in these situations right they have nobody to talk to suddenly you have a thousand several thousand people whatever all hanging out going hey guys i i had to talk to my parents the other day and this is what happened and this is how it went how could i have done better and then people going oh i've got to do that maybe i should oh that's so helpful and the the kind of conversations that you can have are just so so you tend to feel like validated in your frustration Mm. and like certain interactions because like I feel like the normal, like gaslighting in Christianity is just so normal. Yeah. You don't even realize it where it's like, you know, like the, the coffee text that you get when you start deconstructing, like, well, let's go out for coffee, you know, and you go and you just feel like shit. And it's like, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I just know it. And so you have to repress this like feeling of just like inherent wrongness of, of who you are and what you're doing but it's so painful to go back that you're just like all right i guess i just have to accept this fact that i'm just wrong and so like our group just empowers people to feel like they have like wind underneath their wings that sounds like like a disney song (laughs) (laughs) it's just the first thing that came to mind but like that they can continue on in their journey and they're inherently wrong and it's just I don't know. It's just really, really awesome. Cause like, I'm not really in it. I have just been so burnt out on social media lately. We haven't even really been posting on our heretic page. Mm. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot. Um, being a mom of two, you know, I'm a director, um, of a high school sport. So it's just, I'm, and I'm going through my own, you know, CPTSD recovery, which yeah. is, and we're in marriage counseling, like counseling galore season. It, it is. I love canceling, but canceling is like, oh my God, I need to just go and cry for four hours now and just kind of like Honestly, do nothing. Yes. And then everyone's like, hi, how was your canceling? How are you doing? Could you talk to me for an hour? And you're like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Um, so yeah, doing multiple types of counseling and like, oh my God. Yeah, I'm in PTSD recovery. He's in ERP therapy for his OCD and we're in yeah. marriage counseling. Wow. Oh my gosh, it's it's hard, but it's so like, we're just hoping that like, like grinding it out, I'm able to go to my personal therapist after yeah. our meetings and just like, you know, go through it. It's, 
Uh, but that's the thing is like, I denied it for so long. I did, you know, I've been to rehab for my eating disorder. So I thought that I was okay after I got out because I found Jesus and all of this stuff. And it's yeah. like, except no, <laughs> you yeah. know, a Bible, an ancient text can't just cure you. That's not yeah. how it works. Yeah. Um, so gaslighting is just so yeah. gaslighting and bypassing are so normal that yeah. it's just like a Christian second language. You know, they don't even know. Um, so this group is just really empowering people to be like, Hey, this didn't feel right. And this actually made me feel like shit. What did I miss? Or they'll just like sit there and like vent their frustration. And it's just like, so awesome to see people like rallying around, you know, sometimes it's like, yeah, just ignore them. They're a piece of shit, which I think like sometimes can be helpful. We need sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes it's like helpful conversation back and forth, but yeah. So uh, there's something about, um, it depends on how people, uh, I guess, process, but a lot of the times it's really hard to kind of like process all the stuff that is going on, especially when you've got shit happening, right? You've got kids, you've got jobs, you've got whatever, like deconstruction is a privilege. Just yeah. being able to sit down and evaluate, what do I believe about this? What am I going to yeah. change that to? What, how does that work? Like, what am I going to look? That's a real privilege. That a lot of people don't have the time to sit and do. Um, and, yeah. but in doing that like a lot of people it's it's there whether you're doing it or not right it's sitting there in the subconscious you stuff's not right you're not feeling comfortable there's something going on and i think there is something to opening up a page on facebook and instagram and seeing a quote or seeing someone in the community going oh i feel so like disconnected and this is what i'm questioning and i'm wondering if it's because i've lost the certainty of heaven i know we talk a lot about hell but actually it's the fact that I don't, i've maybe lost heaven that freaks me out and what am I ever going to see my kid again when I die or, you know, when they die, you know, and people process, and then you suddenly go, ah, that's what I've been feeling. Right. And and it's just like, oh, and there's something about like almost this group kind of community that gets to kind of think together and process together as well. That is so huge. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. Deconstruction can feel incredibly isolating. Right. You know, and so coming together with other people who are being incredibly brave and being honest about their questions. I mean, it, it encourages people to muster the courage themselves to be like, Oh wow. Like I didn't know that I was the only one feeling that way or thinking those things. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, and that's the thing too, is that for people who have left the institution altogether, um, you know, especially, especially need, you know, I mean, we all are designed to, to be able to have friendships, connections, you know, to not be hermits yeah. <laughs> living, you know, um, I'm sure introverts who listen to this will be like, nah, I disagree. I want to, I want to be alone. <laughs> but um, anyway, so um, and all that to be said, I, I we're really thankful yeah. to, to meet so many other just great people through the community, but also like, you know, people like you, Phil and, and others like Joe and, and Dirty Rotten Church Kids and other people who are yeah. just, you know, yeah, we're, we're just, yeah, I mean, the list goes on, but it's cool because what's happening is, you know, we're seeing these little growing groups that are all kind of coming together, staying the same thing. And like you said, it's this fast growing evolution of spirituality or whatever you want to we should put on our own conference make it i know yeah (laughs) but um 
Yeah, well, the, there is the Evolving Faith Conference that they used to do, which yeah. was, anyway, but um, I, I just think it's it's really incredible to see so many people feeling like, oh man, you know, my voice, my story, my pain, my questioning, all these things that I told were wrong and evil and a product of me falling away were actually, are actually valid and good yeah. and, you yeah. know, anyway. So yeah, that's so cool. I have a question for you. You don't have to go into this at all if you want, but you're the first person I've had on that has openly said they have OCD um, that obviously has come from a religious background and deconstructed. And and I'm fascinated by the components of, uh, have you heard of scrupulosity? So yeah. it's, it's religious oh, yeah. it's, and, and I'm fascinated because I work with a lot of people that have this, not on a therapeutic level, but just as a, a guide, someone that listens to you, helps you. That's all I do. I, I can't offer much, um, but that's often a lot. Um, but I work with a lot of people that have gone through or well, have that really. And, and it's a whole nother level to me. It's fascinating. So people that don't know it's, it's a religious OCD and, and yeah. it's, it's horrifically destructive and very, very, um, very traumatic on a day-to-day level as a Christian to have this. But Absolutely. as someone that deconstructs, it's a whole other level of having such a compulsion to please God, to tick all the boxes, to make sure you're not going off on the wrong direction, to trying to avoid the, the being the bad boy, going to hell, whatever it is, all the different things we're trying to get and we're not trying to get. Right. Um, I, I'm intrigued by how did you go about that process as you deconstructed i can imagine that brought up a shit ton of fear shame panic anxiety i mean i don't know i don't want to put words in your mouth i'm kind of parroting what i hear in my dms just chatting with people um but i I know that enough people have this that they would probably really appreciate any input you do have on like how did you navigate that kind of component yeah no um that's that's a good question so kind of as i was sharing um like really early on before I had language of deconstruction, like when I um, was early on in college and really kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I had this desire to be involved with quote unquote ministry or whatever. Um, I started to, you know, get to a point where um, it was, it was like just this question kind of dropped in me to where I was like, does God actually exist? And this was in the middle of me volunteering at a summer camp for kids who were, you know, experiencing God and, you know, getting quote unquote saved and all these things. And I was a leader and I was supposed to have it together and have, you know, Mm -hmm. strong, perfect faith and all this stuff. So it was in that moment that this, maybe you can classify it as like an intrusive thought. So that's like a common language within uh, OCD. Um, it was just like, do I really believe in God? Do, do I really believe that God exists? And I, this terror came over to me, came over me. And I remember it was that point for the next two years to borrow like St. John of the cross, whatever his language of dark night of the soul. That's really what ended up, kind of happening like I, mm. I I was tormented if if I if I could ever experience hell this was like the closest I would say that I could say I experienced hell yeah um I remember day in and day out like it was mm. like I could not escape I could not find I could not find peace in my mind 
Um, I, I, at times I literally thought that my sanity was holding on by a thread, um, to where I felt like if I wasn't scrupulously observing every area of my life, repenting quote unquote of each and every sin that I thought I was looking at, um, you know, then, then Jesus was going to come back and I was going to be condemned to eternal hell. And like, I mean, like, Oh, if I have any sort of doubt, if I don't have perfect faith, then like he's going to reject me. Mm. Um, it was just this it, every day felt like. Um, it was like so bad. I remember getting a call when we were dating. He like was going to purchase a mattress. The person there offered him like a huge discount. And he called me and he was like, Hi, so I'm at this mattress store, but I feel like God told me to drive 30 minutes away to the same mattress store to buy the same mattress. Even though she's offering me a discount, I feel like I have to go to the other mattress store. And I was like, babe, I don't think that that's God, you know, mm-hmm. or I'm ordering a grande at Starbucks and I'm, I'm pretty sure God wants me to order a tall and I, mm-hmm. I just feel like I'm sinning. Yeah. I just, it was like that, that yeah. intense. And it sounds completely ridiculous i I, but it's but it's so real when you're going through it because there's this and this is the the fucked up thing with scrupulosity like even post deconstruction and as it it could evolve like thankfully like well anyway before i go that way really what it comes down to is like you want what ocd and what scrupulosity does it attacks your value system that's what uh, therapists who specialize in OCD talk about how OCD and intrusive thoughts attack what you hold valuable. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to religious OCD or scrupulosity, it's, it's such a, a place of like torment because like what you want is something that feels so tormenting at the same time. You like want to know God, but like at the same time, you mm-hmm. feel like you're being constantly barraged by this yeah. sense of worthlessness or that like, if I don't, you know, if I don't pray this, this, and this, then I'm going to die or my family member's going to die. Or mm-hmm. if I don't, you know, um, if I don't fast, like then like whatever, like there's just all these strange, it's magical thinking. That's, that's what yeah. a lot of OCD specialists will talk about. And so magical thinking, it, 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 in a lot of ways, sometimes can kind of mirror and resemble some of like what we're taught within a lot of Christian circles. Mm-hmm. And so it feels right. It feels like, oh, maybe, maybe this thought was God. Maybe, maybe I should do this kind of strange thing, you know, cause mm-hmm. what if I, what if I mess up, yeah. you know? So there's this constant fear of messing up this constant yeah. fear of failure. And so, yeah, I mean, it could be really crippling. And, and mm-hmm. like I said, I've like OCD just in general is, you know, a lot of people have um, wrongly classified it within a culture as being a neat freak or everybody's right. a little OCD, you know, yeah. oh, you just, you know, you like having things in order or, yeah. you know, you like cleanliness. And that's like such a stereotype that honestly perpetuates the suffering of those who go mm-hmm. through OCD because it, like it is such a debilitating, in fact, OCD is classified in some ways as being more debilitating than a lot of physical ailments. Um, I think it's like within the top 10 of, you know, people can like when OCD gets so severe could even like not, 
you know, leave their house. They're bedridden yeah. in a lot of sense. So anyway, with all that to be said, it, it is, it is hard. And for anybody who may be listening to this, that like they go through that I, DM us, please DM me. Mm. I want to be, or I can point you in directions of things that have helped me because it can feel incredibly, incredibly hopeless. Um, you know, there, there's been times where I felt so depressed before I was in therapy, before I even started taking antidepressants, which thank God for that. Um, there was times where I, I just didn't even know how to live. You know, I really felt not that I like wanted to take uh, my own life or anything actually, but I, I just, I, I lost the joy of living and mm -hmm. I lost the, it felt like just, you know, it was inescapable. This this inward turmoil, this unrest, this this yeah. this anxiousness. So, anyway, I just hope people can feel like they're not alone in what right. they may be going through, and that there is, like like Rachel mentioned, I'm in what's called ERP, exposure response prevention, and that has been the most proven way to see recovery for people with OCD. So anybody who may be wondering if there's a way to get help, there is. And, and yeah. it, it's hard work. You expose yourself to things that are the theme of your intrusive thoughts, but you learn to intentionally expose yourself in a way to prevent that response that ends up what's really strange, what the compulsion does when you perform a compulsion. Um, it reinforces the fear. It reinforces right those intrusive thoughts and it tells your body's false alarm system yeah. that it's actually a real threat. So yeah. what well, it closes the loop, right? So you have this fear. If I don't do this, I will die. Then you do it and you go, see, you didn't die. So, or like, or you avoid it or whatever. And it's like, see, you didn't die. And so it's like, okay, so as long as I just keep doing that next time I think I'm in danger, I do the thing then I'll be safe. I, and I mean, this can happen in so many different ways, but like the, the issue with something like OCD is it's, it's so compulsive. It's so constant that the, if you're, um, you know, converting like a, a, a field into a dirt path as a regular person, right? And that takes you like a, a few shovels a week or whatever, you're going to be a while. But like you're building a highway in like 10 minutes, you know, you're just like, oh, 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 I'm, I'm doing this, I'm going. Um, and so the, the neuro pathways involved, like are just like, yeah, like 18 lane highways, you know, it's not, we're not yeah. working dirt roads here. We're trying to reach a surface or anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the people I've talked with, me and Till have a, a, a friend um, who is not diagnosed because that would not be possible because therapists and worldly things are evil. And if they did that, that would be even worse. And so even things like that. So there's, there's components of a lot of Christians. We all can understand some of these components. Sir. So what you're talking about there, it's like it's, it's like in the world go, oh, yeah, I've got OCD about cleaning, too. And it's like, no, no. Let me introduce you to someone that's OCD about cleaning who doesn't have a job and doesn't leave their house because they spend 80 hours a week cleaning. They will literally get to the end of the house and go back to the start and keep working through. That's OCD cleaning. You liking your pencils arranged in a certain way when you tidy your desk and keep it fairly neat. That's not OCD. Um, and it's the same with, with the religious component. We can all recognize what a tidy house looks like and wanting a tidy house. And maybe, maybe that's causing us some suffering occasionally. But very few of us can understand what that level of um, trauma, and if people understand the trauma that they've experienced in just regular <laughs> expressions of, of Christianity, um, the level of trauma involved, uh, oftentimes, I mean, I, I don't know if that's across the board, every level is, is bad, but um, I'd, I'd wager it is. 
um, it's horrific. The, the friend we have is debilitated by it and, and, and you get stuck in these loops, right? I mean, it, yeah. it really is because there's no out here. Like, you know, you, you, you do everything you can to please the gods, but the God that you believe in is by default a God who only is pleased if you, if you do it and therefore you, at some point you're going to fuck up, right? I mean, even if you right. have one, one wrong intrusive thought and you fucked up and now God's disappointed in you and then you have to like have 28 minutes of perfection to outweigh that one minute and you know there's there's formulas and everything's right to that level of and, and so the thought of like deconstructing and suddenly having these thoughts of like but if i don't pray for x amount of hours a day if i don't read the bible for x amount of chapters a day if i don't whatever i'm in trouble like to have like a decade of that plus just wired in and trying wow. to rewire right trying to change those habits i mean it's a huge undertaking. So, I, I mean, it, now that if people come to me and talk to me, I'd be like, yes, awesome. I've got some. So get ready because I, I will probably send you some. I talk to people who have this. Honestly, it surprises me at least a couple of times a month, like at least, if not more. Um, yeah. It's wild. It, it's it's so, I, I think, you know, the thing is that um, it just goes so undiagnosed or yeah. misdiagnosed. Yes. A lot well, of people, people don't even know to seek help. For it because they feel like it's a measure of their holiness you know yeah. it's like i'm just doing what i feel is right by god so it's yeah. like they don't even have i actually um posted out of like helplessness on a subreddit about Derek um and like what was going on and they pointed me to scrupulosity wow. and i sent That's it to awesome. Derek, and i was like hey it kind of sounds like this is what you're going through and that was what led you know but yeah. like and it was because I was external and I had only known him for a few months. Yeah. And I saw, I was like, this is not, this is not what I've ever experienced before. I don't yeah. think, it's, you know, healthy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, again, it's just a small picture of kind of everyday life for a while, mm -hmm. but I mean, you hit it on the head. It's, it's like so driven unless I do this, it's like the hammer's constantly waiting to yeah. come down. Like, right you're constantly under this fear of something to go wrong, you know, and you've got to hold it all together in your life by performing these rituals. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, the more and more that deconstruction has happened, I think that like, mm -hmm. it actually is such a, a way to freedom, even in the mm -hmm. midst of that, because in a lot of senses, you're, you're choosing to, to not perform those compulsions. And it's not as simple. I'm not, I know this is oversimplifying it, but through deconstruction and as you change the way you see the divine, the way you see God, that then changes how you see yourself and how you relate to yeah. God. And that also starts to break some of the power behind what feeds a lot of uh, yeah. scrupulosity. So I do yeah. think it is Significant that even if you do deconstruct and that frees you of the burden of scrupulosity, I know with Derek, as soon as he started deconstructing, it manifested in a different way. Mm. And that's what OCD does; it attaches to, mm -hmm. to different value yeah. systems. So. Sure. Yeah. Well, it makes sense because generally speaking, it's very often an underlying need for something, whether it's control, right. whether it's something. So, okay, I'll let you have no control in that area, but what else can we let okay we're latching onto this right and and this is i mean we we see this manifest i mean eating disorders is a great example of a manifestation of a need for control at most um models of what is an eating disorder will will come back to this is a, a control component uh, on some level um and so like it's so common to manifest and i'm not saying that that's the same as ocd or, or anything particular it can be um 
but it's just it's fascinating how these things crop up but when those things crop up and they cross over with our religion it's just fascinating that the, the friend that we have that um has in my experience in my diagnosis i'm not a doctor so um yes has almost died because of it um wow. and, and has eating disorders and things because they have to fast fasting is a big part of it so they frequently do 40-day fasts which yeah it's just not good not good at all um don't, don't eat all sorts of things um and so yeah it, it's just it's really really scary and it's and if you've got it you don't think you have it because actually you think you're doing terrible so you don't even think you're a particularly committed Christian because you actually think you're really screwing up all the time. You're so f- focused on that. And then the problem is if you're in a, a church community that's quite legalistic and quite whatever, unless they're very close to you, and I think some people, even in a very conservative church, people that get close enough go, dude, we need to talk. We need to try and help you. But across the board, people that don't get too close, they're just going to look at you and go, gosh, Look at Bob. That guy is committed. He is really driven. He does his, like, wow, what a commit. I wish I was more like Bob. And they don't know, right? Um, And so it's it's a very hard thing when you're in that world to kind of really draw out. You do need someone that comes from external kind of, um, uh, yeah, paradigm and world to go, this isn't so healthy. You know, maybe we should look at this. Um, Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing, honestly, because I think, that's something that people need to be more aware of, especially because people do struggle to hear. How did you find when, so when Rachel sent you that article or, you know, the link or whatever, and she's like, hey, maybe, like, were you in a place to kind of start exploring that? Were you in a pace where you were kind of more aware of your the pain it was causing you and the struggle or, or that maybe wasn't normal or? Yeah, I mean, I just knew that, like, I, I thought it was anxiety. Like, mm. I, you know, I'm just constantly anxious and all blah, blah, you know, I, and but no one told me, well, maybe there's something more to it, you know? And so when she sent me all that, it just started connecting dots, but even in connecting dots, I mean, it's not like, oh yeah, you know, Sam and, and Jill, they, they have, they deal with scrupulosity. You should talk to them at church on Sunday. You know, it's like, when you, you go from there. Yeah. And, and a lot of people who are open about dealing with scrupulosity are, typically from a Catholic tradition, what's mm-hmm. what typically what you see, mm-hmm. um, at least that's what's more talked about because oh, yeah, Martin Luther had scrupulosity. Right. Martin Luther was, was one of the famous examples, but you know, people talk about um, within the Roman Catholic tradition in particular of those who deal with scrupulosity end up going to confession all the time. Mm-hmm. Like they'll, right. you know, and so um, it's just not talked about. At, you know, at, as a lot of mental health conditions aren't talked about within yeah. the church walls, but yeah, it's, it's debilitating. And and I hope more and more people, you know, get to examine some things that they've gone through and, and maybe even see, oh man, maybe this is kind of, you know, what's going on beneath the surface. And yeah. even sharing some of uh, my story on our Instagram stories uh, not too long ago, a lot of people resonated, reached out like, Oh my gosh, maybe I, I actually have OCD and you know, what should I do? And so it's, it's crazy. So I'm, and I say that because to have something that's so debilitating Mm -hmm. that you're dealing with and not have language to explain it. When you finally have language to explain it. I remember when Rachel finally told me, like, hey, do you think maybe this could be not just scrupulosity? Because I didn't even know scrupulosity was called religious OCD at the time. Sure. It, it was, she was like, do you think that 
maybe like you deal with OCD just generally. Mm. And it was kind of like this aha light bulb moment right. that I just had clarity about so much of what motivated it's kind of similar to when I've been discovering a lot about some other things in my life. But anyway, I, that's kind of that first step of awareness toward being yeah. able to seek yeah. help and healing. So that's awesome. That's so good. And and I should say as well, and yes, there's the kind of extreme of like, okay, people like saying they have OCD and not having it at all. And then people that are like, you know, cleaning the house for eight hours a day, but a lot of people function with OCD as well. And you can function with scrupulosity in that, using the cleaning example, maybe you only clean 10 hours a week, but you don't do anything other than work and clean your house. That's still not healthy and normal. And so like, you know, it's maybe people are hearing some of the examples you're sharing and going, "Ah, I'm not that bad. If if you're bad, just not that bad. It's worth kind of exposing yourself, working through some techniques, getting therapy, even if it turns out that you're not full-blown kind of like you know debilitated by some of these techniques work on people that don't even have or are just kind of on the kind of the fringe components of being uh diagnosable with something like this as well and so it's really worth people kind of like looking into how can i work on some of this stuff how can i try and yeah kind of i would say like even even if it oh my gosh what's that word resonates a little bit Mm. to like go and seek help because i know it's very Christian to minimize mm-hmm. like at to an nth degree. And yeah. so we often don't see like just how harmful it is to us because number one, it's normal to us. And number two, we minimize and minimize yeah. and minimize because we're taught as a spiritual practice to spiritually bypass. Yeah. So I would say, you know, even if you think that you relate to it 1% to, to look into it, see if it resonates yeah. further, you know, yeah. So. No, it's really good. Rich, how are you guys doing for time? Do you have time for another question? It might be we quite deep. To, depending on how quick it is, we have to <laughs> my mom. Well, okay, cool. Let, let's let's wrap up and we can we can okay. uh, go there another time because it's yeah. probably a, a big one. Um, but uh, it, it's been great having you guys on. Really has really really yeah, been great. Yeah, we really um, appreciate it. It was super yeah. fun. Lots of to finally connect. Yeah. And, yeah, one of my more favorite conversations that we've had. So awesome. thank you for facilitating it. No, that's great. So people that want to connect with you, Instagram, you're posting there all the time. You're posting on Facebook as well. Your Facebook group, is that your just heretics your favorite heretics? Community group. Community yeah. group. Awesome. I'll, I'll put links in the show notes to these kind of things as well. And you just launched a YouTube, right? Yeah. We did. We are making our second video soon. <laughs> awesome. Is it also going to start? Like, How did you start the last one? Like, what's up, motherfuckers or something? Yeah. <laughs> I, like, loved I loved it. I loved it. I was I was saying to my wife the other day, um, I was like, man, I I hate how often I use like very gendered kind of like um greetings as a corporate group. So I'm like, hey guys, or whatever. And I'm like, right, damn right. it, I did it again or whatever. And I'm like, I need to come up with something better. And I was like, you know, I should just say, What's up, motherfuckers? And then <laughs> I was like, when you did it, I was like, yes that's awesome um so yeah it made me it made me smile so yeah so people should check out your your youtube what sort of stuff are you gonna be posting on youtube um so we're gonna work on a video next about rapture theory and deconstructing a lot of like modern symbols poured into revelation and like the mark on the forehead and what that actually means you know the great prostitute or you know the prostitute in revelation and how it's not actually new york city all of that stuff so we're gonna you mean that, that whoever wrote Revelation wasn't writing about 
New York I'm City. Just as shocked as you are. This you is know, crazy. how the woman clothed in purple is now not Kamala Harris. You know, all right. of that stuff. Yeah. So we're just going to talk about that stuff. So that's our next one. Um, and then I hope to talk more about you know the more of Ravi stuff comes out, Ravi Zacharias. Mm-hmm. Um, and that whole thing, I've been following that really closely because I know a lot of people looked up to him. Just like different things, kind of all over sure. the map. Recovering and healing is our focus and empowering that it's not as black and white. You know, like Robbie was the end all be all for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. He sexually assaulted a lot of women, you know, so God rest his soul. But it's just things like that, that um, it's not as perfect as it seems, yeah. you know, so yeah. Basically, right. continuing conversations yeah. and expounding upon ideas that we bring up right. on our Instagram, and maybe eventually one day get into do interviews with people. That's what we hope to. So. Yeah. Awesome. We're just it not very good with editing stuff. I am so. terrible, and my best friend is literally uh, a, like a producer. So right. I, she's trying to teach me, and I'm like, Katie, what do I do? I'm so lost. I do I know the tip? Honestly, never edit anything. Literally just put up whatever. Like I have not edited one podcast. I've done over a hundred shows on my podcast and I've not edited one. Wow. I, I had to edit some audio for some because it was a bit crapper. Mm-hmm. It had background noise and so I ran it through a thing. But just put it all on. Uh, I've got good enough that I can snip if people are like, oh yeah, my friend Barry, he actually, he's gay, but he's not come out. I'm like, I'll cut that for you. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. other than that, like I don't do anything. Um, it's, the, it's the top tip, honestly. Um, I I work hard on the principle that people will probably like the content and they're not here for like how well edited it is because if they're here for how well it is they're not going to hear it for long you you will be highly disappointed exactly really messed up the filters in our last video I was like whatever filters see that's it I mean like dude well 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 you're so far ahead of where I'm at already like you're good you're good That's awesome. I love what you guys are doing. Honestly, it's it's so um, encouraging. Your content that you're putting out is fantastic. It's really informative. It's really helpful. Um, I love that you're creating safe spaces for people to communicate and to connect and to evolve and grow together. Like it's really, really um, wonderful. It's important, and there's no shortage of a need for people to do this because it, it it feels when you're in the bubble, you're like, gosh, there's so many of us. This is amazing. But actually, we are a drop in the ocean for the amount of people that are deconstructing. There's literally. Mm-hmm one to three million people deconstructing every year just in America. Yeah. Um, and and so, you know, it's, it's a f- crazy pace, absolutely mm-hmm. wild pace, almost like a as much as kind of 0. 0.5, 0.6% of America is deconstructing every freaking year. That's wow. nuts. Um, and, and I was looking at the projections because you guys are really far behind Europe um, as far as your process of, of deconversion and deconstructing. But mm-hmm. Europe just uh, in the UK, we just crossed to fifty-two percent people have, claiming no faith, atheist, agnostics, wow. spiritual but uh, not religious, basically not prescribing to a specific religion. Um, that just crossed over to fifty percent. But a decade ago, we were at like forty-six. Wow. So we're moving pretty slow now. Um, but we're at that sort of percentage. You guys are like twenty-three percent two years ago, I think it was, you guys, if you're, we were there as well. We were like, if you look at the trends, they're about the same, but you guys are just like kind of like 30 years um, later it's happening. And that's just because you were, you know, doing your own thing. You got a different system, culture, everything's different. You know, Um, the UK is doing it differently than Norway is, or, you know, like we're all doing slightly different paces, Mm -hmm. but it just goes to show this is going to blow up. I mean, it it really is a huge thing. It's, It's the revival that the church is praying for. 
right? Yeah. We would, God would do something and move us into That's something more I beautiful said. and new. It's you happening. Know, they just don't like it. Yeah, everybody said that like God would use us. God would use us. Like we're so spiritual, whatever that means. And I was like, you know, when God finally started using us and it just <laughs> exposed injustice in the church, well, I couldn't hang, you know, and it's just like, yeah. you didn't like it. You yeah. didn't like what we're now doing, Yeah, which I feel is more in line with divinity than what yeah. we were doing. Go prior. read literally any prophet in your book. They go and they don't criticize other nations. They criticize their own nation, their own yeah. religion, and they get rejected every time. Right. Guess what I am? Welcome to a new prophet. <laughs> Every time. Uh, yeah, you guys are some of my favorite heretics and, and I do think you are prophets. Um, you know, you are speaking that which is good, that which is true, that which is moving us forward into greater unity, love, acceptance, everything like that. And so I really appreciate it. I really do. It was great yeah. connecting with you guys. So, we love being on here. Yeah. So and we'll have to get you on again. I, I want to, I want to dive into your eating disorder as well. If you're, if you're willing to talk yeah, about it at some point, because there's huge components in religion and, and eating disorders mm -hmm. as well. And I, I'd love for you to talk back because we've not had anyone on. Um, I think I've actually had a couple of people on with eating disorders, but we've just not gone in that direction. But yeah, I'm very open about it. I was in rehab four times. So I've been through it all. Been I'm Bro. now recovered. I've five years, almost five years recovered. So awesome. That's not wonderful. struggle. So it's been, it's been a really That's good. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, I love you guys. I'll catch you later. Yeah. Right. It was really good connect though. Nice good connection to you. I'll let you know when it comes out, but it'll probably be, I might actually put it out next week. I, I should probably get some in the bank before I put it out, but I'm probably not going to. So I'll just probably just put it out. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Yeah. Right. Well, we'll talk to you later. Love you guys. Catch you later. Love love you you Bye. Okay. So that was Rachel and Derek Myers. Um, your favorite heretics there on Instagram is your favorite heretics Facebook your favorite heretics uh, the Facebook group is your favorite heretics community I think give me a two seconds yeah your favorite heretics community discussion is what it is sorry I had to check um, and uh, they have just launched their YouTube channel as well so do check that out um, links to all that stuff is in the show notes um, and so do Check them out, shoot them a message, DM them, let them know you love this and go join the, the Facebook group and let them know that you, you love this conversation. Um, get involved in the conversations over there. Um, yeah, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get to have them back on again. There was definitely a lot more I wanted to talk to them about, um, but that was a great conversation. Absolutely loved having them on. Um, as I said at the beginning, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com for finding people that are deconstructing locally. If you want to support what I'm doing, you can do that at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, yeah, that's about it. I'm, I'm going to cut it there. I'm not going to ramble. I don't have the energy to ramble these days. Um, and so I'll, I'll leave it there. But I love you guys. Uh, I've, I've missed you all. Um, uh, I've missed doing these podcasts, missed being as active online. I am still... Um, as active as I can be on Instagram, I'm still answering people's DMs. I'm still putting out Q and A's. Um, I'm still doing all that I can, um, and I'm very active again on the partners uh, discussion group. And so, if if you uh, want to still keep uh, a, a good engagement level with me and with a bunch of other people that are deconstructing, that's a great place to go. Um, again, for support of as of as little as five dollars a month, um, you get full access to that and and. You know, we talk about everything from deconstruction, Christianity, theology, uh, other spiritualities, mysticism, psychedelics. Um, and then we talk about day-to-day -day life, um, dealing with family, work, you know, relationships, you know, all kinds of uh, great stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I, I encourage you to check that out. 
But uh, for now, I will love you and leave you, and I'll see you in the next episode, hopefully next week. Peace.